0: Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Justin Collins. Justin, do you want to say hi?
1: Hello.
0: Now, uh, you're pretty well known, at least in the Rails community, for having done Breakman. Is there anything else that we should know about you? No, that's,
1: that's my one claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Super famous. Actually, I I, no. I think people know Breakman, but they don't necessarily know me. Oh, right. That's fair. Oh, Breakman. Yeah, I know that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we actually had you on episode two hundred nineteen to talk about Breakman, and that is true. Yeah, and I think I think that came out of I think I ran into
1: you, met you at RailsConf in Atlanta. It was definitely a RailsConf. I couldn't tell you which one, but yeah, we had lunch together. Yep.
0: Yeah. And I remember just chatting with you and going, Oh, so yeah. Who are you and what do you do? And then it's like, Oh, we got to get you on the show.
1: Yeah. Cause I said break man. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So anyway, th- this is kind of a highlight of you and who you are and kind of how you got into coding and things like that. So let's dive in and get your, your story. How did you get into
1: programming? So I am one of those people you read about that started when I was like 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. So what happened was I have an uncle who, he was a lawyer, and then he decided to go back to school and go into microbiology and genetics. Uh-huh. And sometime around that same time, he got a, one of the first sort of laptop computers, which was a TRS-80 Model 100. Mm -hmm. And at some point he, which was the model 100 came out the year before I was born and he gave it, he handed it off to me when I was about 11, 12, somewhere in there. And the thing about the model 100 is it comes with like, if I recall correctly, it's like a text editor, a calendar, something to talk over a modem probably, and then basic like you're dropped into either a text editor and you can run basic or I think it had sort of like a, you could type it in and run it immediately. Could be wrong about that. Uh-huh. Uh and huh. He, and he gave me a couple books that actually did one of them. One of them was like a reference manual that I didn't use that much, but one of them, I probably should have looked up the name. Uh, I posted on Twitter a while back and it, it was about like Programming the model 100, but it was actually a really amazing introduction to programming in general, you know here's Numbers here's strings. Here's arrays and here's how you can manipulate them and and so on all using basic, you know the basic programming language and I should point out the one one really cool thing about the model 100 it's it has a little LCD screen I think it's like 40 characters wide, eight characters tall, Uh which you can print a character anywhere on the screen. So you can specify which location, as well as you can index any pixel on the screen. So in terms of like drawing graphics programs, even considering it's a very tiny screen, it was kind of amazing the power that you had versus if you tried to do that today, there isn't like, okay, I want to, like, index this pixel on my screen. Mm-hmm. It's not really something you can do because, you know, everyone has different screens and so on. So that was my introduction to programming uh, was that that Model 100. I spent a lot of time writing programs on that little computer. <laughs> nice. That sounds like fun. It, it was a lot of fun. I spent a lot of time on it, and uh, hopefully... I like to think that it did not ruin me considering, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the Dijkstra quote that anyone who starts off with basic is basically ruined for the rest (laughs) of their lives.
0: But Um, I mean, it had,
1: it had things like, yes. So basic is like line number oriented, right? You got to like put the line numbers and you can have go-tos and so on. But it also had like subroutines, which were kind of like methods that you could call and the 100 I don't, know, I don't know if this was a specific feature of the 100 or not, but it kind of had like event-driven programming. So you could say like, uh-huh. hey, when someone presses this key, go to this line number and execute sort of this function. Right. You could do sort of this interactive like, OK, like I press this key and this thing happens. I press that key. And it had very terrible arrow keys. So you can imagine like what you can build right. out of that, just having that building block. It's pretty neat. Nice.
0: So you, you get playing with basic. You're you're playing on this TRS eighty. Yep. Or TS was it a TRS eighty or TRS one hundred?
1: TRS eighty model one hundred. Model one hundred. Okay. Yeah, the model one hundred was the portable, essentially like a laptop except the screen is level with the keyboard. <laughs> uh,
0: gotcha. So so you're you're playing around on that, and then you grow up. So how do you get? From there into Ruby and things like Ruby.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, I, yes, I grew up. Well, I, I think I did. And
0: <laughs> don't ask my mother if I grew
1: up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh. And I, yeah, it was you know it was time to go to college, and I was like, okay, great. What major has programming in it? Like, I, I was really clueless. I, I'll be completely honest. I was uh-huh. completely clueless. I was like, what? What major has programming? I'm like, oh, okay, this thing called computer science has programming in it. So I guess I will go and do that, which I did. Yep. And then I I think it was probably around my junior year, you know, I had taken the time, you know, we started off with like C++ and then we had some Java. I had a class with Scheme and I was like, okay, I want to get into these like dynamically typed languages. So I was kind of looking around and I was like, okay, there's this thing called Perl. So I bought the camel book for Pearl Uh and I absolutely could not get into it. Like, like I literally like was only read like maybe the first 10 pages and I was like, oh, there's like, and I'm probably gonna get this wrong, but it's like, oh, there's like scalers and like non scalers and like, I don't know what's going on. It's very weird. I can't, there's a, my thing and I don't know what that means. So I, I just couldn't get into it and I was like, okay, what else is out there? And I saw Python and I saw Ruby and i was like, okay, well, Python, for me, like a lot of stuff is sort of just how does it feel, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, Python just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. good, the aesthetics of it. So I, I went, with, I started, you know, playing around with Ruby and I really liked it. And then my sort of first real experience with it, I was working at my college at the law school, like computer help desk. Uh-huh. And we had a paper ticketing system, right? Like someone would come in, be like, my computer's broken. And we'd fill out a paper ticket, put it in a box, <laughs> you know. That kind of thing. And so myself and a uh, friend, we were like, we should just write like a online little ticketing program. And this was, it, I think it was 2005. So Rails had just come out. And uh-huh. What, or maybe, uh, 2005, 2000, uh, it must have been 2005, maybe into 2006. And I was like, oh, I don't want to use Rails. It's it's too cool. <laughs> that, that was really my mindset was like, Rails is too cool. We're going to do everything with CGI, ERB, and like the MySQL driver, right? Mm-hmm. Which and we how do you like it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, it worked out, yeah. I guess. I do remember at one point I accidentally deleted a column from the database. I don't remember which column, but I just like completely deleted a column. And fortunately we could like reconstruct that column from some of the other data that was in there. Uh So yeah, that, that was, I mean, and it was, you know, we just used it like the maybe four of us at the help desk, right. To track tickets. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that was sort of my, my first like Ruby program was (laughs) this pretty, probably really terrible ticketing system. (laughs) (laughs) Nice.
0: So what was it about Ruby that really got you? You mentioned the aesthetics, but that's a little bit,
1: I guess, vague. It is vague, but I I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm really like a feel person, you know, Like I'm always worried when I like upgrade my computer that I'll have to figure out what font and what font size my terminal was because if it doesn't feel right, then like I'm I'm it completely oh, it, throws me off. So I, yeah, I mean I don't know. I, I liked I like the feel of Ruby. I liked the you know the the attitude. I guess I would say right there uh-huh. was there was a fun attitude. You know people were excited about it. A lot of the stuff that came, I mean, I guess some of this came later, but you know, thinking about like why the lucky stiff, right? Or, you know, just sort of there was a feeling of fun. It's new and uh, very welcoming. You know, the community was very welcoming. The mailing list at that time was very active and very welcoming. Uh huh. And yeah, and. Again, some of it really just is aesthetics. Like I liked the look of Ruby documentation better than I liked the look of Python documentation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's what some fair. of it, you know, that's what some of it was. Nice. And then you know, once I got into it, it's you know, I, the the aesthetics of the language appealed to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and maybe some of that comes out of starting off with basic. You know, it was like okay, yeah, it's very free and very. Mm-hmm. You know, I can kind of just do what I want, how I want, without thinking about types, let's say, <laughs> and sort of the strictness of C++ and Java. Even though I hadn't done them professionally, I'd done them in school, and Ruby was like, oh, this is, this is so much easier. It's so freeing. It, it, you know, it makes things feel so easy to do, and I really like that. Nice.
0: So how did you get then into security and Rails and Brakeman and all that stuff?
1: Yeah, so that was a, really a, a total coincidence. I had, I had finished my undergrad, I was doing my PhD, I needed an internship for the summer and I was still very much into Ruby. So I, I spent a lot of time watching, you know, the recorded conference talks. Mm -hmm. And there was a company that was sponsoring a lot of talks at the time called AT&T interactive. Yep. And I was in LA, they were in LA area and they had, I want to say like five different, you know, programming related internship positions. And I applied to all of them because I'm like, Oh, this place, you know, it's Ruby and I like Ruby and I want to go work with Ruby and they're local. And I honestly, I was a little bit desperate because I think it was like May. And I was still looking for an internship and the team that called me back was the security team. Okay. So, yeah. So the team that I got an internship was the security team, not having any background in security at all. And when I went there, well, when I, when I did the interview, we were talking about, cross-site scripting, security, web security vulnerabilities. And in in the interview, I was like, well, what if you just had a program and it looked at all the inputs of the program and it looked at all the outputs and it looked for cross-site scripting. Mm -hmm. And the two guys who were interviewing me got really excited. And they're like, oh, do you know of like a tool that does that for Rails? And I was like, no, but I don't think it would be that hard to build one. That famous and, last words. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and the funny thing is that even now that's not how breakman works actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> even though that was I didn't know at the time that's a very standard formalization of source to sync you know, sort of looking at static analysis security tools. It's you look at the source and you look at the sync. And if something goes from the source to the sync without being escaped or, you know, made safe then you have a potential security vulnerability, which I, I had no idea at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, I, yeah, I did the internship. Breakman came out of that internship. They allowed me to open source it at the end. And, yeah, that was, I mean, that was essentially the genesis. And then I ended up going and back and working for at Interactive after my internship. I went back and worked there. Right. Which was good because I actually had zero use for Breakman. So... Mm-hmm. After the internship, I was like, well, I have this thing and I I don't have any reason to continue working on it. But then I went back to work for at and Interactive. And so now there was like, OK, now I have a reason to work on this. You know, we can use it internally and so on. And then that kind of really propelled it. Yep. Very cool. So is there
0: anything else that you've done with Ruby or in the Ruby community that you're excited about or proud
1: of? Uh, I mean, I've had small little things, but yeah, I mean, Breakman's been the main thing. Uh, Another thing that some people might be aware of, I have this website, Mm -hmm. (laughs) rails-sqli.org, which is a little bit hard to say, but um, basically it's a listing of all of these sort of dangerous active record methods that people should be aware of um, when they're using it that it's very easy to do unsafe things right and that now it covers like rails 3 4 5 but not there have been some changes between like 5.0 and 5.2 but that that's another resource i put out that people have found pretty useful and really it was just i needed to document it for working on breakman like i was like okay i need to go through all of the active record methods and figure out which ones are safe and not safe and or if there are safe ways of using them unsafe ways of using them so i was like well i guess i could put them in a spreadsheet and i was like you know this actually might be useful information for other people as well Mm -hmm. so i ended up putting into a website which i actually generate by spinning up a rails app that it's really terrible it basically (laughs) evals like this JSON, this information in a JSON file that performs these queries and provides the output and then kind of generates a, a static page that shows, you know, if you call this method and you call it this way, um, you have SQL injection vulnerability. And yeah, so some some people have found that useful. It seems like, yeah, those are my only real useful Ruby projects, I would say. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, it's stuff that people use to make their apps better. So, Yeah. Don't discount it.
1: No, it's been, it's been really amazing, actually. The, the, the progress of Breakman, it's been almost eight years now since I started working on it. And, you know, the, the, it's, it's still when people come up to me and they say, hey, you know, well, they don't usually come up to me. Usually we're talking and I say, yeah, I made Breakman. And then they say, oh, okay, you're the guy who made Breakman. <laughs> um, and then people say, you know, it was really helpful you know, I fixed things because I ran Breakman, and it pointed things out and I fixed them. And every time I'm like, that's amazing. You know, I'm, I'm so grateful that people find it useful. It's still useful. Eight years later. Um, it's been really amazing and it's, you know, it opened a lot, a lot of doors for me as well, personally. So that's been great. Makes sense. Um,
0: So now you have Breakman Pro. Do you want to talk a little bit about that for a minute?
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, there there basically came a point where there was work I wanted to do on Breakman, but I wasn't, let's say, sufficiently motivated to do it. Right. um, Just to do it. And so, yeah, I started working on Breakman Pro, a commercial version of Breakman. Actually, it was almost eight years ago.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Sorry, not eight years, four years ago. (laughs) Right, (laughs) I got confused by 2018. So four years ago, 2014, uh, myself, Neil Mattitol, Jim Manico, uh, kind of put the company together, started working on the pro version of Breakman, just to have, you know, sort of a commercial offering on top of Breakman, the main part being like a desktop application, and then Extended rules, extended analysis, right. some stuff that you know in in some ways it's it's a noisier tool because it tries to present as much information as possible, right. whereas the open source tool is much more um, i don't I, I don't want people to have a bad experience using it, mm-hmm. so trying to limit the number of false positives as much as possible um, there's still plenty, but um, the pro version is kind of an opportunity to say, okay like it can find these vulnerabilities, but you might have to dig through them a little bit more to find the ones that are actually a problem versus just potentially a pro- problem. Right. And the desktop application that we have in the pro version makes that a lot easier, actually. <laughs> makes it a lot easier to go through the results, uh, keep track of what you've looked at, what you've already determined is a false positive or a valid mm-hmm. finding. So that that's what we have for the pro version. We also have, uh, if you're using Code Climate, you can use Breakman Pro, the Brakeman Pro engine on Code Climate, uh, which a lot of people find useful and it provides, you know, more results and also more information about the findings. And if you just, if you don't want a desktop app and you don't want to use Code Climate, we essentially have a drop-in replacement for the Brakeman gem. You can use the Brakeman Pro gem and use it essentially the same way and uh but get the deeper analysis and sort of expanded results cool com. yep that's how you can find it sounds good so is that paying your bills full-time now absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) no it's been you know we had i i will say this it's if you want a challenge, go try to start a company based on something that's already free and see if you can get people to pay for it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, on, on one hand, you know, it hasn't been as successful as I had hoped. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I'm still amazed every time we get a new customer because you know, it, it shows that there's value there that people are willing to pay for. And Again, we've had customers that are just like, this is great. We love it. We, we love using Breakman. It's been so useful to us in our organization. I'm like, that's great. Like, you know, it's always amazing when people come back with that kind of feedback. And yeah, and the fact that people are willing to pay for it. Maybe just not quite as many people. Maybe I'm just not very good at business. Actually, that's not really a maybe. I, I know that I'm not very good at business. <laughs> You're, you're,
0: you're not the first programmer to say that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a common problem. I, I think people who are good at business typically go into business, not programming. So yeah, it's, it's been interesting. It's been a, a, I hate to say it cause it's so cliche, but it's like, it's a learning experience. It's been a journey, the stuff that I've learned the stuff about running a business, um, learning that I never want to really do it again. Even And I know by saying that it probably means I will, but
0: Um, (laughs) that's how life is
1: yeah and and you know this too it's it's, there's a lot of difficult things around running a business around worrying about income i mean i I have another job that covers the bills but just worrying you know people are like oh yeah like we'll buy this we'll pay for that and then they don't or maybe Mm -hmm. they do but it's you know the sales cycle can be long yep and Yeah. So, yeah, I'm always jumping between those two extremes of like, uh, it's it's not nearly as successful as I wanted it to be. You know, what can I be doing to make it more successful? How do I reach people? How do I get people interested? How do I convince them that they need or they, they should pay for something that they can get really good value out of for free? And then thinking like, wow, it's amazing. Like someone just paid me thousands of dollars for this product. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have, we have individuals buying licenses and we have huge international companies buying licenses. And I, I, I'm always amazed. <laughs>
0: yep. That's cool. That's really cool. All right. Well, is there anything else you're working on these days that you want to talk about?
1: I don't know how interesting it is to people. I did... Recently, I've been thinking about this for a while, but when I did my PhD, I, you know, I had a, a software project that came out of it, and it, it was written in Ruby. Another thing I, I owe a lot to Ruby and especially the JRuby team actually for helping me finish my PhD. I, I don't think I would have finished if I had to do it in Java, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and actually, a very side note: I had one of the people on my committee. At the end of my, my dissertation, I have like full programs written in Ruby, but using this library that I wrote to demonstrate uh-huh. the concepts. And one of the, my committee members was like, wow, like I really love the concise programs that you have, concise, clear programs that you have in your dissertation. And I was like, Thanks. But really, it's just because they were written in Ruby, (laughs) you know, like that's what he was seeing was like the Ruby code was really, it just allows you to have a very nice, clean code. And I thought that was funny. But um, yeah, so I I recently like started picking that back up because I've been thinking like I want to rewrite it. Originally, it was written using zero in Q, which is Mm kind of, I mean, it's like a networking library, but. There's been a lot of sort of controversy around it. The, the main guy passed away a couple of years ago, and it's just an awkward library to use. I think if you're not writing C or C plus so I, I started. I, I just recently picked that up and been like rewriting it, and it's been kind of fun to work on that. But otherwise, I'm just kind of you know, there's always work to be done on Breakman and and Breakman Pro. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's still chugging along on Breakman and, you know, keeping up with things and uh, fixing bugs and so on. Awesome.
0: All right, well, let's get into some picks. Do you have some picks for us? For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code Bridge Ten for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail... Costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings.
1: I did pick out some picks. I have two security-related ones and one not exactly security-related. So the first one, if you are using two-factor authentication, on websites that you visit most of them are going to be using an implementation of totp time-based one-time passwords Mm -hmm. you get the six digits you open up google authenticator you match them up type it in if you are using google authenticator i'm just going to say uh, you should switch to using authy because when your phone dies or you lose it your google authenticator essentially the seeds that you have in Google Authenticator for all those accounts will also go away. If you use Authy, which is another mobile app, it's like Google Authenticator, you can have all those things backed up for you. And when your phone dies, or you lose it, or like my colleague Neil always talks about, if you drop your phone in the ocean, you can have those keys backed up. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to go through the painful process of trying to Recover those accounts without your second factor, essentially. So I recommend if you rely a lot on Google Authenticator, try out Authy. It's also much prettier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if that if that appeals to people.
0: Nice. My.
1: The, yeah. Go ahead.
0: So, so I, I just installed Authy on my phone yesterday. Oh. It's because I <laughs> I signed up as a publisher on Brave which is the browser. So right their attention token, I think is what they call it. They they have you sign up for uh, basically a, a place where you can, you know, store your cryptocurrency. And yeah, their authentication runs through Authy. They make you install yeah. it. So yeah, there you go. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and it is a nice interface. Did you have another pick?
1: Yeah, two more. So okay. I want to let people know about this website. They may have heard of Um, It's by a guy named Troy Hunt. It's called Mm haveibeenpwned.com. And it's pretty amazing. Troy has basically become a repository for leaked passwords and account information where people trust him enough that when they run across this stuff, they'll kind of send it over to him and he compiles it all. And so you can do things like go there, put in your email, and it will tell you, hey, Here are the the breaches, the typically website breaches that have your email address in them. You can also set it up to automatically send you emails when there's a new breach that involves your email. And it'll also say, you know, in this breach, there were, let's say, emails, passwords, and I don't know, phone number, something like that. So it'll kind of let you know what, what information has been leaked And you can go and change your passwords. Um, And he's also started, for for the sort of developer side, he has an API where essentially you can say, hey, how many breaches contain this password? So if you have a website and you have people signing up, you can query that API and get, you can look into the details of it, but essentially it's like, You can find out, like, hey, and you can alert your users, like, hey, uh, that password that you're trying to set is an extremely common password that's already out there in the wild. And Mm -hmm. you should probably pick a better password. So that's very interesting stuff around that. And then my third and final pick is this tool called ALE. A-L-E. It stands for Asynchronous Lint Engine. It's a plugin for Vim. And... What's cool. What's funny about it is I, I was aware of it because they had a Breakman plugin. And I will be honest, most people who most product or projects that try to use Breakman in sort of an incremental way, they don't do it properly. Mm-hmm. So I, I it was on my radar and then finally, was like, OK, I got to install this because I want to see if it's any good. I want to know if like, I can recommend it or not. So I installed it. I can say I can recommend it. And what it does is as you're working in your files, it's running these linters. So it'll, you know, it'll run like RuboCop or Breakman or whatever you want to set up, depending on the language. And it covers a whole bunch of different languages. And then if it finds a problem, there will essentially be like a little gutter on the left-hand side that opens up, points you to the line, you go to the line and it gives you like, hey, you know, like one I see a lot is hey, you like you set a variable, but you never used it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's the kind of, you know, it, the kind of thing it will tell you about. Of course, if it's running Breakman, it'll say, you know, it'll warn you about vulnerabilities in your code. Um, so that's a pretty cool tool uh, that I recommend. If you And what's funny is I, I don't usually install very many tools at all for Vim. Uh, oh, yeah, you already had it. Sorry. Um, that's good. But... I installed it to try it out, to try out the Breakman integration. And then I just kind of left it there. And now I'm like, oh yeah, this is actually pretty cool. I like having this running just automatically for me as I'm working on the program and uh, working on code and have it pointing things out as I'm going. It's pretty cool. I think you have to have like Vim 8. I think it's 8.0 or newer to use that, but that's a pretty cool plugin.
0: Nice. I'm going to jump in here with some picks. Uh, the first one I did mention it's the Brave browser, and it's it's pretty cool. What it does that I like that's different from some of the other browsers is that if you're browsing the internet, you can buy what they call Brave attention tokens, and it's essentially a cryptocurrency. And what it does is you can assign a certain percentage of so so it keeps track of where you've gone and then it tells you which publishers you visited the most. So it could be Reddit, it could be uh, devchat.tv, it could be breakmanpro.com, you know, whatever. And what it does is it then allows you to buy these attention tokens and you can uh, allot based on your browsing history with, you know, percentages to these publishers. So for example, if you find that you're listening to a lot of our shows on devchat.tv and it's 20% of your browsing history, then it will, or your browsing time, then, you know, you go buy, you know, $20 worth of brave um, attention tokens. You can then just assign that, you know, the 20% to devchat.tv. And if, you know, let's say you're browsing on Facebook and Facebook accounts for half, you can tell it, you know, I don't want to give anything to uh, Facebook, and then you know it'll kind of blacklist them for your donations, you know, because they do advertising and other things, so they have an, another revenue model, and then you can give it to the publishers who you are not, you know, directly or indirectly providing some kind of thing to. So anyway, I I thought it was cool. It turns out that some people had already, when I signed up yesterday, some people had actually already uh, sent us some money. So yeah, I I, I can go buy. Two happy meals, it was t- about 10 bucks that I had in there. <laughs> so, you know, I appreciate all those people for, for sending money our way. But yeah, I just thought it was an interesting idea of how we can support the internet and support people on the internet who are probably doing things that we're just not thinking about. And, you know, it, 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 it kind of comes down to the same thing with like open source sustainability. And that's where I heard about it, Eric Berry uh, from codefund.io was talking about it but uh it just really kind of hit home for me that oh yeah this is another way that if i read this blog fairly often but i'm not sending them money this is the way i can send them money
1: and don't don't forget the other part of brave which is blocking a lot of tracking blocking a lot of ads and trying to provide a, a more secure browsing experience as well
0: yep yep absolutely so yeah it's it's got a lot of cool stuff going for it so yeah, I'm I'm giving it a try myself. I've been using Chrome for a long 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 time. But yeah, we'll see we'll see what, uh, how I feel about Brave after trying it out. I may miss some of the plugins I use off, enough to come back, I don't know.
1: What is Brave based on? Is it based on Mozilla like Firefox or is it based on Chromium? Do you know?
0: I don't know. I know that Brendan Eich is behind it and he, you know, he was the CEO of Mozilla for a long time. So, yeah, I I really don't know much about the underpinnings for it. But, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if it runs on some open source engine. So, so uh, one last question. If people want to follow you, see what you're doing these days, that kind of stuff, I'm assuming they can find you on Twitter and GitHub, and then maybe you have a blog or some other place that you put things you're thinking about.
1: Yeah, best place is probably Twitter, at PresidentBeef, website's PresidentBeef.com, I do have a blog, blog.presidentbeef.com, but not not super active. I am still still considering converting my PhD dissertation into blog posts at some point, but never seem to quite have the time to do that. Yep. <laughs> also President Beef on GitHub and many other places on the internet.
0: Sounds good. All right. Well, uh, go check out Breakman folks
1: and uh let Justin know you appreciate it if you've been using it, and
0: we'll wrap this one up. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit dot to learn more.